innovation and being creative has part of your brain that's somehow connected. That's the voice of Juan Pareo, co-founder and chief executive officer of SantaFit Therapeutics, headquartered in Palma, Spain, with offices in San Diego. Listen in now to hear Juan's thoughts about leadership and how SantaFit is pursuing development of treatments for progressive vascular calcification disorders. I'm John Simboli. You're listening to BioBoss. Today I'm speaking with Juan Pareo, CEO and co-founder of SantaFit, headquartered in Palma, Spain, with offices in San Diego. Welcome to BioBoss, Juan. Hey, John. Thanks for inviting me. What led you to your role as co-founder and CEO at SantaFit? Well, first, I, I, I was doing some research as part of a, an academic group at the university. And um, during those years, during my PhD work, you do research. Uh, we made some, some discoveries. Hopefully, I was part of a, a group that had already filed some patents in the, in, in the past. And I was part of some of these uh, filings. And then one day, one of my colleagues just saw that, this is quite a funny story, that uh, there was an innovation contest here in our country, in Spain. And we decided to, to, pro, to present a business plan to that, to that contest. It was not specific for life sciences or biotech. It was, you know, any sector. And as you can imagine, in, in Spain and even more in the, in the Balearic Islands, there was a lot related to the uh, touristic industry. Um, but we just did our thing and we won the first prize in that contest. There was some funding associated to that, to that prize, but you couldn't claim the money unless you were registering your, your company. So, you know, uh, Bernard, who's the other co-founder at Sanifit and myself, had to create a company just to, to get our, our prize. And, you know, then we started all this, uh, all this adventure. So that sounds like it was not necessarily something that uh, you were planning from college on forward, that, that this was something that evolved. Yeah, probably when I started at university, I was thinking more as a you know traditional academic career, you know, doing my PhD, then going abroad, have some postdoc experience, and then go back to the university and, you know, have my position in there. Which is okay. It's something that I I have done. I'm I'm teaching at the university. Have been teaching for the last uh, 15 years there, but you know, starting Sanifi just just gave me the opportunity to see you know another 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 part of the research. We had been doing research for for a while in uh, in kidney stones for a number of reasons. Kidney stones was not the um, the ideal uh, area to start uh, doing. Uh, work preclinical and then clinical development and they started diversifying the research and looking at other therapeutic areas and um, that was the the origin of sanifit and you know uh, i cannot imagine having done all this type of research that we have done here as a company from the from the university was there a point at which you said this is interesting research th- these are interesting data i think i'll find a large or largish biopharma company and take it to them and and become part of that as opposed to starting something yourself no no because our start uh, our story started in in the way i i described so you know and 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 we were really young by then because i i was like 25 when we started the company so 
we were not even thinking of, you know, uh, let's bring this technology and license out to, uh, to a pharma. No, we just did our, our own thing. But where we needed to spend quite some time was in uh, finding the right, the right opportunity. Because at the beginning, you have a technology, you have an idea, you have a mechanism of action, but you need to find the right place to, um, to, to prove that this, uh, that this works. In our case, you know, it was about um, calcification. And as I said, we were looking at kidney stones at the beginning, but that was, that was complex for, 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 for multiple reasons. But then we discovered that there is this, uh, this group of patients on dialysis who suffered this massive problem of calcification in the, uh, in the arteries and started digging into, uh, into that population. And so that actually, you know, there is a huge unmet medical need. There was a lot of benefit that could be given to those, uh, to this, to, to those patients. And we started our, uh, our development. A moment ago, you were saying one of, the, one of the most challenging things was to find the right, right starting point, the right gateway. I don't know exactly the word that you used, but can you tell me a little bit more about that? The way I'd like to, to, to describe this is, um, there are two types of calcium in the body. You have soluble calcium, for example, the one that's circulating in, in your blood, and you have solid calcium. And then you have two types of solid calcium, the physiological and healthy one, the one that's building your bones and your teeth, and the pathological one, which is any other form of solid calcium. Wherever you can find solid calcium in the body other than in bones uh, and teeth, it's always because there is a, a disease. And People have not studied a lot uh, the problem of calcification disorders because this is not the natural thing. Um, you would expect that uh, when companies look at um, targets, receptors, you think of a protein, an enzyme, a membrane, membrane receptor, but it's always, if you think of that structure, an organic thing. So our, our target, our receptor, is an inorganic thing. It's an inorganic stone, something, a three-dimensional structure that grows in your body, in your joints, in, in your arteries, in your, in your heart, in, your, in, in other organs. And how do you really target that? So this is what our technology was about, about targeting this type of inorganic target, something that had not been uh, studied before in the field of medicine. I am a chemist, by the way, <laughs> a chemist by background. So the chemists had been studying how to address the problem of crystallization since the 60s in the last century. So, you know, from the chemistry point of view, this is old science. We knew how to manage crystals since uh, 60 years ago. So what we have done at Sunnyfit is just bring that knowledge from the field of chemistry, apply it into the field of, um, of medicine, and find the right um, um, target patient population. We know, um, we, we have identified, and of course that was not at the beginning uh, because we have learned more and more over time, but there are 30, 35 diseases that are connected to or linked to pathological calcification. Um, when the problem affects the cardiovascular system, it leads to increased morbidity and mortality um, because of cardiovascular complications. And when you have renal insufficiency associated to that, the problem is just more severe and more prevalent. And that was our first 
I would say, important decision, you know, targeting these patients with renal insufficiency. But although many people see Sanifit as a renal company, we're not. We're a cardiovascular company because we're, we're treating cardiovascular conditions. So call it cardiorenal, you know, whatever you want. But strictly speaking, we're not a renal company. When you're talking with investors, which I presume is frequently either one-on-one -on -one or in investor conferences, I know that it's largely, if not completely, uh, you know, uh, virtual at this point. When you tell that story you just told to me and make that distinction between the renal and the cardiovascular, uh, do people get it? And do they want to pigeonhole you? And if they do, how do you help them get out of that? I think that has been um, not a confusion, but it's something that puts you in a certain bucket, you know? And, and for us, um, it, it has been important because, you know, it, it's, it's not exactly to your, to, to your question, but you know that um, innovation in the field of um, renal diseases and more specifically in dialysis has been suffering a lot over the past uh, 10 years because there is, you know, this system of uh, reimbursement of drugs in the renal space uh, through a bundled payment system that, you know, has been affecting dramatically innovation. So people tend to say, oh, you're a renal dialysis company bundled. No, 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 we're, we're not. We're talking about cardiovascular indications, you know. Imagine this is like if you're giving a statin to a patient on dialysis because that patient has hypercholesterolemia. Is that a statin for a renal disease? No, of course it's not. It's for a cardiovascular disease. It just happened to be in a, in a, in a renal patient. So in our case, it's the, uh, it's the same. But um, maybe, you know, uh, it helps to, to create this perception. Um, the fact that SNF472, which is our um, lead product, um, it's not uh, highly bioavailable when given uh, orally. It has to be injected. And for convenience, we have started with patients on dialysis. Because if you think of that patient population, probably because they are unfortunately a captive uh, population, they have to go to the dialysis unit three times per week, sit there for four hours while the blood is purified and so on. This is the perfect population to give them chronic intravenous administration. So if you wanted to do that in other patient populations, maybe that would be uh, challenging. So you were asking about the, this perception with investors. Some, some of that, it's, uh, it's related to, this, to these aspects. Do investors ask you the question about how widespread the target populations are? Do they talk about whether it's rare, whether it's ultra rare, whether it's not rare? How do you answer that question? We have orphan drug designation for the two indications we're pursuing. So at this point, it's in, uh, in patients on dialysis. Uh, one disease, it's called calciphylaxis. Calciphylaxis is the, the most um, severe and devastating form of vascular calcification. It happens in patients on dialysis and without dialysis, with or without renal insufficiency, is more prevalent in, uh, in dialysis. Uh, but we have the orphan drug designation specifically for dialysis patients. And the second indication, it's uh, in peripheral arterial disease, which is also something that happens in, you know, general population with or without renal disease. But again, um, the problem is more severe and more prevalent in patients on dialysis because of this component that we have in the case of renal insufficiency of um, calcification in the arteries. 
that um, um, more uh, severe in these uh, in these patients on dialysis. So we just got also the orphan status for uh, from the FDA for a PAD in patients on on dialysis. So yeah, how widespread widespread are uh, are these diseases? They affect the number of patients, but in these subsegments where we have the uh, the orphan status, actually is like you know. 10,000 patients calcifilatsis, 5,000 in the US, another 5,000 in, uh, in Europe. And for peripheral arterial disease, that affects one-third of the patients on dialysis, which is like 150 to 175,000 on both sides of the, uh, of the Atlantic, so on the very high end of the, of the orphan range. Juan, what's new at Sanofit? Well, we have um, one leading asset, SNF472, for two indications, one phase three ongoing, another one, uh, another program phase three ready, the two of them with orphan drug designation, and that's uh, following its own development pathway. But there are another 30 uh, diseases, most of them on medical needs, where um, there are needs to, to develop new drugs. So we started a couple of years ago working on uh, drug discovery uh, in our uh, platform of inhibitors of calcification, looking at um, how we could um, address other um, diseases with follow-on compounds. And this is probably what's going to be next. We'll have uh, another preclinical stage program during this year with the idea to be um, with another asset in the clinic um, uh, soon soon in time. And, you know, looking at, um, not that we have disclosed the areas we will be focusing on, but certainly will be uh, related to um, pathological calcification, but not uh, on patients on uh, on dialysis. We're covering uh, the unmedical needs there with SNF472, but we have SNF473s and 4s uh, coming soon. When someone who's outside the industry asks you, what do you do for a living? Let's say not someone from the biopharma industry, and they say, Juan, what do you do for a living? What do you say? I think that over the last year, more and more people have uh, become aware of what developing drugs uh, is about with all these uh, vaccines uh, due to COVID. So now you say phase one, phase two, phase three, and a lot of people know what you're talking about. That was not the case literally one year ago. So it's uh, it's easier. But as I was telling you um, just a few minutes ago, when we tell this story about the two forms of calcium, the soluble and the solid calcium, the, the healthy one and the pathological one. This is a very easy to convey to convey message. And then when you add, and this problem is especially important in patients with renal disease because that leads to uh, decreased uh, quality of life and increased mortality, then that rounds up the story. Several of the founders and CEOs I've talked to over this last year, this COVID year, uh, when I've asked that question, what do you do for a living? They sort of smiled and they said something along these lines. Well, now that my partner, my wife, my partner, whoever it is, sees me at work because we're in the same house, they say things to me like, is that all you do? You talk on the phone all day? So <laughs> I'll ask that question a different way. As a CEO, what do you do each day? In my case, it was not about my wife, but it was about my kids. Because, you know, I have two kids, they are eight and 10. And when they were asking me, 
what do you do that to do for for a living? So I explained, oh, look, we developed this uh, very important drug because we want to improve uh, the lives of patients. And now, uh, because I've been traveling literally every week for 15 years, so my kids have seen me always traveling, you know, and maybe more present over the weekends than during the week. And now they see me. So this is the way you develop drugs. You're, you're sitting in, in, in your room in front of your laptop and talk all the day with people. But in a, in a positive way, they, they think it's quite fun being talking all the day to, uh, to people because they have to do their homework and so on. And, and for them, it's a, it's a different perception. Now, but what you were asking, what does the CEO do? Well, uh, I think it's, um, in my case, I am a founder and CEO. So I have a technical background and uh, I can understand the, the deep aspects of the, of the science of, uh, of what we are doing. But in reality, uh, I would not need to be uh, an expert in any of the areas. Just being able to, you know, understand the uh, the big picture, ask the right questions to, you know, each of the areas, each of the functions that uh, that we have here, and that's actually, you know, orchestrating the different uh, aspects of clinical development is uh, is is what you do with your team internally and then similar but you know with different uh, purpose uh, at the corporate level you know talking to uh, your shareholders uh, your investors potential new investors talking to pharma all the time maintaining this open communication because you you never know how how things will develop in the in the future and how potential partnerships might uh, might happen down the down the road so you know um, it depends. Uh, it, it might look that you're doing the same sitting in front of your laptop, but actually, you know, every hour is completely different. Just the conversation we're having now, the one I was having before talking to you, or the one I will have when, when we finish this, this, this conversation. In these years of being the founder and CEO, what have you learned about your management style? What works for you? What, what your approach is and what makes it you? Well, first I had to learn a lot because, uh, we started the company when I was very young and, uh, you know, all the learnings have been learning by doing. And sometimes it's not easy because you, you have to learn very fast if you want to, to keep, you know, the, the pace that, that the company and the developing car uh, are taking. But I'm a pretty straightforward person. So I just like to talk to people in the way I like people to talk to me. And that's that's as simple as uh, as uh, as is and then um, I, I I don't know uh, be uh, transparent with uh, with people be approachable and just be natural but at the same time you have to be firm with what needs to be done with the the work and the activities that need to to be done and you know uh, I have one of uh, my investors, who's actually uh, a very good friend, who always says, you know, you have to be all the time, you know, with the whip and the flower, you know, <laughs> and, and, and combining these two elements appropriately. If you can remember back to when you were eight or nine or 10, and uh, most of us wanted to be what we thought our parents wanted us to be at that point, and of course, but do you remember what you wanted to be at that point? What, how you wanted to grow up? What kind of profession you wanted to be in? Does it have anything to do with what you're doing now? I was taking uh, piano classes 
and I, I, I'm still playing the piano right now. You know, we had um, years ago, uh, eight nine years ago, we we signed a, a small license for uh, for a small product that we that we had by then, and uh, I used uh, you know part of uh, uh, what I got from that to uh, to invest it in a in a grand piano that that have here you know and and now because of covid we're we're at home and if i have more stress than i can handle just need to go out the room play with the piano and uh and and continue with the work but that that was a serious thing you know the, the one thing people don't know about me is that i was really thinking of undertaking a professional career as a musician as, as a musician and ultimately, I just decided to go to the university, and it was the other way around. I just studied maybe one more year of uh, piano, was you know close to uh, completing the professional level, uh, and never did that. <laughs> so became a chemist, and that's the the story we're talking about now. Do you see any links between the kind of thinking that one becomes trained to do as a musician and a performer? And the kind of thinking that you do as a chemist and as a and, a, and as a CEO. That's that's an interesting question, John. Uh, I think, in general, innovation and being creative has you know a part of uh, your brain that's you know somehow connected. And you know, as a musician, uh, you need creativity for sure. As an entrepreneur. You, you, you need much more than that because you know I you know another way to describe what, what we do is it is solving problems all the time because you have a problem with an animal model you have a problem with a clinical trial you have a problem with recruitment here you have a problem in manufacturing you have a problem in fundraising and you just need to be creative and uh, adjust things all the time and you know create multiple options to make sure that you can uh, continue one way uh, or another, you know, keeping focused on uh, on your your values and and your mission, what why you are doing things for. And how about the performance part of it? I, I know I'm not a musician. I I admire musicians greatly and and performers. The performance part has to do a lot with poise, right? And being a presenter of ideas about a biopharma must have something to do with that as well. One thing that uh, that I think it's important, and uh, I, I I like to think that I have some of that, is putting a lot of passion in everything you do, and you know, continuing with this comparison between music and um, and the work, you know, in, in leading a biopharma company, I think that's that's very important. It's something that you need to uh, to convey when you talk to people, because at the end of the day. You're talking to pharmas, you're talking to investors, but but you're working to bring drugs to patients, you know, to improve their lives. And uh, in our case, it's it's a very specific thing. People have not paid historically a lot of attention to the problem of calcification. Maybe uh, because they were not aware of the unmet medical need. No, because of this type of inorganic target that I was uh, describing before. But you know, um, I, I think it's important to 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 be able to convey this um, this passion. Can you tell me about the unmet need in terms of severity? I think it's dramatic. Um, so you you have approximately 
three, 3.5 uh, million of patients on dialysis globally. The main cause of death is cardiovascular. If um, the, the other day there was some uh, research that was uh, published and uh, amongst the um, top unmet medical needs as perceived by the nephrologists, uh, vascular calcification in general and calcifilatsis, the most severe form of vascular calcification in particular, were uh, on the top of the list. Calcifilatsis, well, this affects to um, 1-2% of the patients on dialysis. It's this uh, number, 10,000 patients that I, was, uh, that I was mentioning before. Well, there's nothing approved for, uh, for calcifilatsis. There's nothing other than SNF472 in clinical development. So, you know, the closest um, option to, uh, to treat this disease is our ongoing phase three uh, program. Um, our phase two study in this patient population is the only completed ever interventional study in patients on calcifilatsis. There have been some other attempts. I think uh, there have been three other companies that tried to do um, development in this, in this space and the studies were terminated early. Maybe because of operational complications, maybe for, uh, for other issues. But it's, it's an unmet medical need because there is nothing for them, but the mortality rates are above 50% the first year. The, the disease from, from the moment of diagnosis progresses very fast. You can, um, um, it starts with this calcification in the skin arterioles that um, affects the, the circulation of, uh, of blood across the vessel and leads to uh, ischemic pain, ulceration, um, the formation of these necrotic skin ulcers that get infected, uh, evolve to, to sepsis, and sepsis is normally the final, the final cause of death. But it's, it's up to 55% uh, after one year. So, so this is what we are uh, talking about. In calcifilatsis, yeah, Maybe a small setting, it's, it's 10,000 patients, um, but uh, uh, not much attention paid, uh, paid to this. If we talk about the, 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 the opportunity uh, in, in peripheral arterial disease, because this is much larger, now it affects to one third of the patients on dialysis, it's 350,000 patients between Europe and the, and the United States, it's a, it's a significantly larger opportunity. Well, but and then if, if it's such an opportunity, why don't we have anything for these patients? Well, because the traditional cardiovascular approach using vasodilators, anticlotting agents, does not really work in patients on dialysis because the traditional cardiovascular risk factors do not fully explain what's happening in this patient population. In here, it's about this progressive arterial calcification. So now when it happens, not in the skin arterioles, in the larger arteries in the legs, it has an impact on blood circulation as well, but when it happens in the legs, what's affecting is um, the walking capacity. So patients, because of the uh, ischemic features, start uh, having pain on walking, and that uh, impacts down the road the, the walking capacity. So there's nothing indicated for peripheral arterial disease patients on dialysis. Actually, these patients have always been excluded from clinical trials in PAD, literally. So to the point that now we're about to start the phase three program in PAD, and we are conducting, as we talk, a, a, an observational study 
you know, in a non-interventional setting uh, with PAD patients on dialysis, just to have a bit of a better understanding in the, uh, on this patient population, understand a bit better their baseline uh, characteristics, because this is the population we're going to uh, um, work with, and also to understand, you know, um, operational and logistical aspects that could influence the, the clinical conduct uh, and want to, to have some, you know, some learnings before we uh, actually start uh, uh, a phase three study. So huge population. In this case, well, mortality rates in dialysis in general are high. So we're talking about 20% plus uh, annual mortality rates. Um, but you know, the quality of life is um, severely uh, affected and um, the FDA, DMA have these rules, you know, a drug can be approved based on how a patient feels, functions or survives. Well, if you can impact, if you can improve, if you can restore the physical function, that's meaningful for these patients that lose a lot of mobility uh, when disease progresses. So these are the two, you know, unmet medical needs that we're working on. In peripheral artery disease, you mentioned that one of the outcomes is the patients who are not being treated. There is no treatment right now. They, in in the way that you've described, they have trouble walking. How does that progress? What what kinds of outcomes occur after that? The problem in in peripheral arterial disease in patients on dialysis uh, starts with the problem of uh, vascular calcification. And, but it doesn't stop uh, at the point of um, um, impacting the physical function. It can con continue evolving because if you continue calcifying, you have uh, less flexible uh, arteries, uh, less compliant. They are not able to maintain the blood flow across the legs. The situation can evolve. The ischemia can become more severe and evolves to critical limb ischemia. Um, that uh, that puts the, the limbs at risk. So many of these patients get uh, amputations uh, because of the um, disease progression. Uh, the ischemia also uh, ends up provoking necrosis because the surrounding tissue dies. It can lead to the formation of um, um, ulcers um, in, the, in the skin, which also can evolve, you know, uh, get gangrene. And this is also another, um, another way that can uh, end up with, with amputations. Uh, what we know about the disease is that almost 50% of the patients die after uh, a surgical intervention because of an amputation. When people ask you who is Sanofit, I know you said in the negative we talked about it. Well, people think that we may be a renal company. We're actually a cardiovascular company. Is there a way that you try to bring those two thoughts together? I believe you gave me a hyphenated uh, version of that at one point. So when, when people say, who is Sanofit, how do you like to answer that? We're uh, a leading company in the space of vascular calcification disorders. Because actually, um, we're the only company that has now a clinical program in uh, in this space, a space that didn't get much attention in the past. Hopefully we have now some other companies still early stage, you know, drug discovery, preclinical stage, but starting to, to look also with interest at this, uh, at this space. And also, why not saying that, John, it's... Uh, we're proud of being one of the uh, leading biotechs in, in Spain. When we started um, the company almost 16 years ago, there was no ecosystem in the country. 
we didn't have life sciences investors. We didn't have other peer companies to look around, and you know, so I could talk, I could pick the phone and talk to to another CEO and ask for you know some advice, you know, because there was no no ecosystem. So uh, now the situation has changed, but actually, you know, uh, in a modest way, we can we can be proud of having contributed to creating this uh, this ecosystem, and we have grown with um, uh, with the sector in in Spain. It's not that there are many uh, life sciences investors now in the country, but you know, uh, we, we have very few, but five of them are shareholders at Sunnyfit. So almost every single one has has trusted in in Sunnyfit at some point. Six years ago, we raised our first uh, international financing round. Those investors across Europe uh, and some uh, US uh, investor um, invested in a Spanish company for the first time so and and now several of them have done their second and third investments in uh, in Spain so somehow we're we're very happy to 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 have paved the way for for others and uh, and helping in in creating a better uh, a better environment in in life sciences so now not that this is you know uh, a place where you have multiple clinical stage companies but there are a number of uh, companies doing uh, important things you have other CEOs uh, with whom you can you can talk and and change experiences and this is always enriching can you talk to me a little bit about what it's like to be not only one of the forerunners for Spanish biopharma companies but probably one of the very few that's located on the island of Palma how does that work out I think it works exactly uh, as in any other place you know, m many people uh, tend to, yeah, like laugh when. So, so where you're based in, in Spain? Where in Spain? In Madrid or Barcelona? No, no, in Palma. And so you think, okay, we're on the beach, you know. <laughs> Which I can understand, but in reality, to to do science, you can do it from uh, any place in the world, and. You know, I am from uh, from the islands, so it was the natural place for me to start the company because I'm uh, I'm here, studied here, and uh, and we we took and advanced the the technology from the University of the Balearic Islands, and we're very proud of that. Thanks for speaking with me today, Juan. Thanks, John. It's been an enjoyable conversation. During my conversation with Juan, he made the connection between creativity and innovation. On one level, we might say, of course, biopharma is all about innovation, and we associate new ideas with creativity. But biopharma is also highly technical, and the image of a biopharma leader that I carry with me is typically a scientist or engineer. But when I look back at the BioBoss conversations I've had with over 30 founders and CEOs, I'm reminded these leaders come from a wide range of backgrounds, and one of the things they have in common is imagination and vision. For Juan, he checks the box of biopharma leader as scientist. He's a highly regarded chemist with a PhD. But as a young man, Juan studied piano and was accomplished enough to consider a career as a professional musician. As he explained to me, the skills he honed as a musician, learning to focus on his values and mission, are the same ones he draws on each day to drive innovation at Sanofit. The link between creativity and innovation is not specific to biopharma, of course. As I thought about what Juan had said, I recalled 
my interview several years ago with the CEO of one of the world's largest technical information companies. When we talked about his path to leading a Fortune 500 company, the CEO smiled and he said he'd been a graduate student on his way to becoming the director of a theater troupe in New York when he took a summer job at an investment bank. He fell in love with his exposure to data science and realized he had a gift for leadership in technology and rose rapidly through the ranks. Just one more reminder that imagination and creativity know no bounds. And that's one of the things that for me makes our biopharma community so interesting and vital. I'm John Simboli. You're listening to BioBoss. <laughs>